This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. Welcome to my interview with somebody I worked with a couple of decades ago now on The Outer Limits. He has written and produced a number of amazing shows, including Star Trek The Next Generation, Farscape, CSI for All Mankind, and he is currently the showrunner on The Expanse. From The Companion, this is my conversation in sci-fi with my friend and the incredibly smart Narain Shankar. Bradley! <laughs> How are you, man? I am well. And you? Mm, not too bad. Not too is bad. Is that your office or are you at home? It's my office in my home. <laughs> um, and then are you at yeah. work it's... no hell no i haven't been a, i haven't been there in a year plus <laughs> of course of course yeah yeah, yeah. so um, yeah. i thought maybe it was starting to open up again that's why I, i'm asking everybody that are you in a are you in a workplace <laughs> it, it, it it is starting to open up and, and la's i think doing reasonably well but the funny thing on the expanse is that every year after we'd wrap i would do all like almost the entirety of post from home right so even in even when the pandemic started, I was already in that process. So, like weirdly, my day to day didn't change all that much. <laughs> Neither did I. I mean, Debbie's an artist, and she was in her studio doing her work, and I was writing pilots, and it, it made no difference. There you go. I'd, I, I had to wear a mask at the grocery store. That was the only difference. Exactly. Exactly. And there was no yeah. toilet paper in the grocery store. That was that was the first panic. Exactly. The, the toilet paper. My wife started making bread and trading it to friends for toilet paper. <laughs> That is, that is that's quite clever actually that's uh, yeah we're right straight back to a barter economy that's exactly what we did oh my god that's brilliant that's that's the way to go right yeah oh god all the people making gravel grommets are out of work that's it so i can't believe i, I guess we could just launch in but it's good to see you same here man uh you know what's funny i i i guess it was about 14 months ago last march you and I, uh, I'm walking into Amazon for a pitch meeting and you're walking out. And I said, Narain? And you went, Brad? And everybody <laughs> with us are going, who the hell are these people? How do they know each other? And we go to give each other a hug and immediately, like the nerds we are, realize we can't do that because right. they, they hadn't announced that it was a pandemic yet, but we, we knew they were going to. And in fact, in fact, that was my last day in LA that was my last meeting I just got the hell out of there and I was yeah. you know it was just days before they closed down the whole country yeah I remember that I was like they were like oh yeah we'll get together it's like no, no. <laughs> <laughs> although I I hear you're you're uh not I hear I know you're 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 thinking of uh coming up here and getting a residence up here and, yeah uh, yeah that, that's that's that, underway yeah we're um, that's good we put down we put down some money on a place. Um, it's going to be ready in about uh, I think about a year and a half. So um, that's what they tell you. I know, I know. Although yeah. they are sending pictures of the construction site, so I know it's actually there. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I bought uh, I bought in when I bought my Toronto condo. It was uh, they had a timeline that was going to be fine, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was looking forward to it. And and. Uh, but there was one person in one of the buildings that was squatting, oh, no. like one of the one of the houses that was like nobody nobody was living in it. But somebody there was a squatter there, and it held the process back for like almost a year because you you know that you can't just 
go in and drag these people out. It was quite terrifying. I, I was so amazed when I went to Toronto when we started The Expanse because I had not been in Toronto in almost, like since I was in university, I, I, like 25 years. I had Transformation. I, the last time I was there was because we had a we had a chapter of my fraternity at U of T and we would go up there right. for, for Russian stuff and so um, uh, for initiation and um, we went to the CN Tower late at night because there was like this twenty four hour Italian delicatessen that was supposed to be quite good and and it was parking lots nothing yeah. but parking lots around the CN Tower and just it was like it was like a demilitarized zone it felt like just like empty you know. And I go back to Toronto six years, seven years ago for The Expanse, and that's where we were at. It, it was, I, I couldn't even square it in my brain. It was so no. different. Yeah. Going through the Gardner Expressway through the city core is, I mean, my image is Tranter from- Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah right. That's Absolutely. what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. It, it was- like uh, all city. I know, I know. It's, um, yeah, so it was, and I, I love Toronto, but I, I have missed Vancouver uh for for all these my little brother lives in vancouver i didn't know that yeah 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 he, uh, he oh, so you have a lead you have a you have a foothold of family yeah. that's good yeah yeah it's it's pretty i gotta say you know <laughs> I, I have a i have a i have a foot in both worlds and and uh the, with the pandemic has taught me one thing and that is why do i have a place in ontario <laughs> because i couldn't go there it's from where it's it's where our families are from. It's where I grew up, and and I and I had this I had this pull there, you know, this thing that was dragging me there, and it may have been repaired by um, by absence. <laughs> well, absence I, made the heart grow less fonder. In this case, I, I suppose it's going to be a change. I mean, we, we're, I'm not a hundred percent sure if we're going to sell our place here um, or keep it, um, but. It's going to be a big change. I mean, I've been in LA for 30 years. No kidding. No kidding. Which is roughly when we started working together. Yeah. Uh, 90, 94, not quite 30 years. Oh, 94. 90, 95 no, for you. 96, I think, was the first year that I came in. Because it was season three of Outer. It was, oh, was it three? I thought it was two. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I remember now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I, I, those were, I mean, you and I have talked about this at, at my AMA, but... Yeah. I would, I would, that was my dream job. Yeah. That was absolutely my dream job. Yeah. The, the idea of just doing one, you know, one half, one hour of one project with a cast. Yeah. It wasn't really a pilot. It was a story, right? So you didn't, yeah. and, and uh, we didn't have enough money, of course. Oh my God. What's that I, like? I, I was <laughs> thinking about that actually yesterday. I was like looking at this on my calendar going, we did that show for like a million five, I think. Uh, we we started with less. Season one and two, we had less. Um, and can, can you imagine? I like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, it costs, as you well know, it costs X to open the front door on a on a yeah. regular show, but you have your standing set you can fall back to. Sure. With the other limits, it was, it was square one every time. So fun. that's, I mean, imagine that, imagine doing it for what we did. And so, you know, we would do our big shows and then we would do our really, really, really small shows. I did another anthology show years later. It was, it was called a uh, night visions. It was, um, yeah. yeah. And, and that was, you know, again, remarkably sort of, you know, psychological anthology, twi twilight zone ish, but I think it probably bent more towards horror and ultimately, 
But even that show was like probably three, six, three, eight, you know, uh, an episode. I mean, it was a lot of years later, but it's remarkable what, what was accomplished for a small money on, on that outer. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't really hold up though. It doesn't oh, like, I, I mean, no, I, 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 I am a, I'm a firm believer in, you know, it's like that. Um, it's like, you know, uh, danger don't back up severe tire damage. It's like, that's yeah. like, that's like, look at life that way. It's like, don't go back. What a perfect people. metaphor. What a perfect <laughs> metaphor. Yes, our tires will get blown. No, but I mean, I mean, my best example for that, for the shit we were doing, that Steve Gagan was doing, like, I mean, making, making like ray guns out of, uh, you know, garden tool extensions and spray painting them and say, here, here's your ray gun. <laughs> And then I went to Stargate and I would say to the props department, they'd give me a budget for something. Say, you know, it doesn't have to be a working ray gun. It just, <laughs> it just needs to look like one. Yeah. And, and um, but, but my best example for this was on, on um, I guess it was season two, the, but the light, you would have seen the episode, the light brigade uh, oh, yeah. with Will Wheaton and um, Robert Patrick. Yep. I mean, talk about ambitious. We built a freaking spaceship on a stage that was and with a giant 30 foot tall and with and it was all just sono tubes for concrete with ladders in them and hatches that had literally garage, uh, garbage can lids yeah uh and and it in, in standard def on you yeah, know, it, know. It, that, that was that was the secret weapon <laughs> the shitty resolution of the screen oh thank goodness for that put some more vaseline on the lens you could still see it <laughs> But now, and what a segue from, from that to what you're doing now. Oh my God, the absolute state of the art of visual effects and, and numbers of sets and, and scope of, of storytelling. And I mean, my God, the expanse. <laughs> and I bet you still don't have enough money. Oh, we don't. We don't. We're, we're, I, we, we're done, I, I think, quite responsibly. I mean, we had way more money on For All Mankind than we did on The Expanse. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but for all I can, though, again, you're, you're, it's, there's a ton of one time visual effects, right? Uh, on For All Mankind? Um, yeah. Sort of. Um, it, it's, it was a lot of, you know, building set extensions of um, the old uh, space program buildings, the Cape. A lot of uh, money on talent, too. Yeah. Much more money above the line. Um, but, yeah. uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, it, the show changes a little bit once you get to the moon in the second season, and then it get, becomes a little bit more, you know, reusage. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and, but it's done at a very high level of fidelity. I mean, because the, well, it the, looks, it looks like it looks like you're there. I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then well, I love there's I love the I love the, I'm I'm call, I I credit you. I I don't know whether you deserve it or not, but I'm crediting you anyway because little things like. Uh, when when in in expanse when they're on the moon and and uh, and and she pours a drink and the liquid pours out at you know yeah a fraction of one g not not the whole it doesn't pour it just sort of dribbles out beautifully you are, you mean, are that, not, you're not wrong to credit me but but <laughs> I, will, I will I will in turn credit the novelists who made those little moments in their books I mean like even even on like in the very first novel, which is set on series station, a big chunk of it, which is which has been spun up, right, to create gravity. So like the further you get away from the surface, the more you have a Coriolis effect. So when people right. the liquid just kind of spirals down and deflects, they write that in the book, 
they thought that we wouldn't do it in the show. And I was like, no, I really like that. We're going to do that. And then similarly on the moon, it's like, because you're normalized very quickly, but fluids are still fluids. So you could actually see it. And, and the visual effects guys did a great job with it. It's like, it's they just, did. It's, it's like, even like when you pour a drink, it's like, even if it's not even in the shot, really, it's just kind of slowly settling in the glass kind of, and just kind of sloshing around. But I, I love touches like that. I mean, it's- just, I do it's, too. I do too. And it's funny when we were going back to the other limits and we'll bounce all over the place, I'm sure. But going back to the other limits, you, you were by far, I mean, by a million years, the most qualified person in terms of science. <laughs> and- than anybody within within 100 miles of that show. <laughs> and until then, a guy with a theater degree, me, was the other was the only bastion <laughs> of, of science on that show. And it was so weird. And and I think fortunately, I think people like you and 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 the more you know, as as television and film have become more television, I think, become more sophisticated. In, in its recognition of how things should look and how things work in the real world. In the, back in the day, uh, I mean, in season one, I remember saying, I mean, things that would drive me nuts, like you, you get a creature that is apparently about to take over the planet Earth right. without any opposable thumbs. <laughs> how do they build this ship? They're like claws. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure we're in good shape here. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, television has caught up in a lot of ways. I, I would often we would talk about on the Expanse is how rarely television science fiction has gotten you know space and physics and reality even close to right. You, you kind of have to go back to two thousand and one. I mean, that movie was made in what nineteen sixty seven. You know, yeah. <laughs> like and and Kubrick kind of got everything right. You know, and, yeah. and and a lot of people got shit ton wrong. <laughs> So, um, but it was, it was nice kind of recapturing those kinds of things for the expanse. I, I don't mind if you have like Star Trek. Okay. Well, there's yeah. some sort of artificial gravity yeah. that is, that is, that is doing that. But if you have artificial gravity, that means you have a whole ton of other things at your disposal. <laughs> and, and uh, in terms of, you know, science and, and fields and, and removing inertia uh, as the, now, did you come up with inertial dampening field? Was that you or was that No, else? I think that was way early on the show. Um, I, I can't remember if it was in the original series. It may have been, but... Um, oh, no, no, no. It was never, it was never it, mentioned. It was in not in the original, original show. Okay. No. Then it, was, it would have been something that... It would have been Mike Okuda and Rick Sternbach had, had really... Oh, those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, 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 Okuda and his wife, Denise, were technical advisors on For All Mankind. Oh, that is great! I didn't know that. Ron, Ron Moore brought uh, he brought a bunch of people over from uh, from the old days, uh, but the um, but yeah, they had developed a whole underlying language of of like you know Star Trek's you know fake science. I mean science in, in real quotes. No, but it was uh, internal. It was cohesive and it, it internal. Had, yeah, yeah, I mean to, to to the extent that you had to break them every episode to have a story. Of course, <laughs> and I always thought you and I would talk about this for for people who are actually scientists. Yeah. Writing science fiction is dif is difficult because you you immediately go uh huh, and there's the thermodynamics is <laughs> it's like you have to turn that part of your brain off, right. and and uh, but the and the smarter you the more entrenched you are in, in those things the uh, you know the more the more going outside it is a bit of a leap 
Right. But as long as there is some sort of cohesive structure, like I, I like using Star Trek, I sure you have inertial dampening fields, but it's not quite perfect. So you still fall to the left and to the right whenever you're hit by something. And uh, yeah, because you have to, because if you just stood there, <laughs> it would look that exciting. Um, no. The uh, one of one of the things actually that that attracted me to doing the expanse because I, I had been away from science fiction for quite a while for about. Like, well, yeah. Um, because I, I hadn't found it particularly interesting. And Star Trek was, it was never hard science. It was really, it was allegorical. It, it, yeah. You know, it, it really, it was about, it was not about that. And the thing that was interesting about The Expanse, because even in the novels, was the guys had used the reality of space to create drama and in a way that I hadn't actually seen before. They, they embraced the science of it to create it and, and then added politics. Yeah. They absolutely did. I mean, and, yeah. and, and so that actually was what was attractive to me about it because yeah. it was like, if we could actually commit, I mean, the only thing I asked when I came in to meet on the show was it's like, are you, are you actually going to support this with the dollars to actually make the show? Because that was the reason to kind of do it because it felt like you could make something that I hadn't really seen yet. So, but that was sci-fi, right? Um, Alcon Television and sci-fi, yes. Yeah, that, that was the um, the U, the U.S. broadcast was sci-fi. <clears throat> yeah, initially seasons one through three. Right. So, and that was how long ago? Uh, Seven started, years. Yeah, twenty fourteen in, in the summer of twenty fourteen, basically. Right. So summer summer spring of twenty fourteen, I have a pilot at sci-fi. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh -oh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh dear. And uh, and it is about it's it's interesting because the expanse kind of went there. Mm -hmm. It is about uh, uh, it began with a uh, a rover on Mars uh, coming across a structure that that had been completely covered over by Martian dust hundreds mm -hmm. of years for and and it was in fact like uh, and it and it opens up the rover falls into this um, mm -hmm. thing we send. Uh, you know, years later, we send a ship, we explore this place. Turns out it's like a repository left for us of stuff, oh, wow. of, 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 of all the means to get to space and all the weapons to defend ourselves against all the people and all the aliens who are out there who are going to come after us the minute they find out we've gone to Mars. <laughs> basically, basically, it's this, it's, 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 uh, it's like Stargate. It's like, it's the opposite of what you're saying, but because I've always wanted to do, I love storytelling in, in close to the here and now, but mm -hmm. our science and our, and our, I mean, it drives me nuts when, you know, let's get on the rocket ship and go to another planet. I don't know. We're nowhere near that. But if we were to find like, like the Stargate, frankly, it was the same thing. This means to go elsewhere. Uh, this, this sudden ability to go to other worlds. Anyway, that was that never got made because the expanse did, and uh, and uh, that that was absolutely you know probably better uh, for for me in the long run because uh, it, I would never have had the money to do what I wanted to do either. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I and they did. I mean, the expanse they spent the money. It looked like money even from the beginning. But <laughs> now we were we were we were pretty strapped. I mean, I, I have to say it was it was a challenge. It still looked good. It, it, we we did pretty well, I think, with what we had, and and it even even in the first year on Amazon, it was it was a little bit tight um, because Alcon Television is not is they're not a huge company and they don't do a lot of stuff. They're an indie feature company. Right. And this was their their first foray into television, and um, so it was um, 
like I said, it wasn't, we, we didn't have the latitude that we did had we been in a bigger studio. Um, so, you know, that, that was challenging, but the last couple of years, we definitely, you know, Amazon stepped up and, um, I think the show finally got to really look, I think better. Than the there are some shots in season five, uh, that are like feature Thank scope, you. like, Thank you. And, and, and it's great. It's terrific. And, and um, you know, it's a very broad international cast. It, it's, it's breaking a lot of barriers and it's good. But I mean, it's not the only thing you've done. You've been, you've been doing this uh, uh, pretty much as long as I have. I remember me wishing I had worked on Stargate. I remember lamenting with you. Oh, God, I'd love to work on that show. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. Sitting at Swiss Chalet <laughs> with you telling me, that the dipping sauce that I was using was absolutely horrific and I can't believe, <laughs> not believe I would eat it. <laughs> that was the worst. I, I, it's, it's, it's a, there must be a gene, like the same people who don't like uh, cilantro. cilantro. Yeah. <laughs> there must be a special like dipping sauce gene. It's the same, it operates the same way. Oh my God. And That's I remember it. when you left, was it you left or when I just went to Stargate and, and knew I would oh, never yes, be coming yes. back full time? Well, you, you went off, you did the pilot, I think, in season four, right? Or season three? That's right. No, it was season four. We wrote it in season three. You wrote it in season, three. season four. Season four, and then by season five, you were... Well, we were ostensibly supposed to be involved in the show, uh, John and I. I mean, you were, you were still there. I mean, but you had Sam, and then Carlton was there, and then... Right. But, but, but you know, so... But, but you guys were there. I mean, we're all in the same place, so... But yes, but you were, that was definitely taking, that was definitely taking your focus. Oh my God. I remember passing you in the, uh, you know, back and forth. And yeah, yeah. One, I had two contacts on, one from one show and one from another. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on there, right? I don't know. What do I do? <laughs> oh, oh, well, man. but I lived in, I, you know, I, yeah. I wasn't displaced. I mean, I wasn't in another, like, I didn't try to, I didn't have to go home. To right. LA on weekends, I just drove right. home to, at night to my, you know, to I, my house. I never went home. I never went home to LA, so it's like I just, I just didn't, I didn't like that back and forth stuff. A couple people did, but I just couldn't deal with that. I mean, even even oh, when, a lot of those guys did. Uh, even when I was in Toronto, like I would go there for like a couple, like several months at a time because I just, I can't go back and forth like that. It's just, it just wears me out. Well, especially Toronto because you're in a different time zone. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's I've, what kills me. Yeah. It, it, it's the time zone and as, especially as I get older <laughs> it's true I mean I used to be able to bounce around no problem yeah. Yeah. when we were doing uh, my, my wife and kids would go to we have a cottage in Ontario that's the place I'm talking about and yeah. and they would go for the summer but I would want to see my kids right so I, I would I would um, I would get on the red eye on Friday night you let you know you land at six you, yeah. or, 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 10 to 6. I'd get a rent, I'd rent a car. I'd be at the cottage by 8.30. I'd spend Saturday. I'd get up Sunday morning, go back to... And I did that like three or four times a summer. It take, it uh, it does weigh on you a little bit. Exhausting. That's exhausting. I just, yeah. you know, it's like, especially when you're working, it's like the weekends are like the only time you get a little bit of time. You know, Toronto was madcap, nonstop like every day and then the weekends i was just you know i'd be catching up on dailies <laughs> that's just like most of the well week. exactly you're still working you're just working it from a to it on an easier thing i i uh on, depends on your show like on travelers there's a small show and all my writers were young and uh, and relatively inexperienced so i was i was rewriting a lot 
Yep. Which is fine. That's part of the yeah. game. And, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, every showrunner, show runner, unless you get, you know, eventually this combined voice of, hey, we all got the voices, which is where you want to end up. But so every weekend was, was, you know, I'd have to do a pass every weekend. And, uh, but there's good work and there's bad work, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know about you. I loved working for Netflix. They were so. I haven't worked for Netflix yet. Uh, well, okay. I loved working for a streamer. I mean, you yeah. did, I mean, Amazon is very similar in that sense. I mean, how fun is it to be able to write the word fuck into a scene? You know what? <laughs> It was funny. We well, even when we were on basic cable on sci-fi, yeah. it's like I, you know, we would write that way because that's what the show was originally intentioned. And sci-fi yeah. said, said, um, you have to change the language. And I said, not gonna. And and they said, well, then we'll have to bleep it out or dub it. And I said, I don't care. And so we never, we actually never changed anything for sci-fi. And they did it because my feeling was that the show was gonna live on streaming no matter what. Right. I just, I just thought. I mean, even when I went to, to, even when I went to to do the show initially, I was like, Basic Cable is a dying business. It's like there's no way that they can, there's no way they can win because they're screwed on both sides of the equation. They can't go big enough for high end premium cable, and they can't go broad enough for mainstream broadcasting. And so, so my feeling was, well, then, okay, we're going to be on this. This will be our home, but the show will live as a thing on streaming, in which case I'm not going to change the language. And so that's what we did. <laughs> that's smart, but, that, but, but they dubbed it. They did. Uh, which still means your actors are going in and, and doing ADR. And... No, 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 no. We wouldn't dub it. They, they, oh, you they wouldn't do it? muted it. I, I refused to have them dub it. So I just... Oh, they I, just I, muted it. Of course. I, I, said, I said the same thing. Let's bleep it. Let's just bleep it. They, and they didn't want to. They said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, they're not going to do it. Here's the funny thing on Travelers, um, because it was cable in Canada, they said, no, you can, you can say, you can, you can say the, the F word. They, they wouldn't even say it. They said, you can say the F word. Just, just don't throw it around so much. And so, and this is, a, this is true. We got, a, we were allowed to say it twice in season one and yes. three times in season two. And I said, oh, we get an extra fuck a year. That's fabulous. <laughs> We, that's so nice you know what I'm, I'm actually i left out one element of the story of the language thing which was initially they were concerned with the number of fucks and this and that we had yeah. and they asked us to tone it down and because we were in that let's play ball with the network phase of the relationship yeah. we did we toned it down we, right. just we never dubbed it or anything but we would tone it down on the page then while we were on the air mr robot came on which was just right. had tons of bad language all over the place. All over the place, yeah. All over the place. And then the mandate from the network was, oh, you guys can say whatever you want. So then we yeah. wrote up and then they changed their minds again and said, no, no, we think it's too much. And I said, no, nope. <laughs> too late. This is what we're doing you, now. You, in the expanse, you have characters using the F word uh, maybe seven or eight times in one speech. Liberally. There's one yeah, character yeah. Like, Liberally. I, I, That's a well way of putting it. Yeah. I think I think it gets a little much, but uh, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> but that, that's it's the nature of who the people are, right? I mean, in Star Trek, I can't really imagine Picard, you know, throwing that word around. It's not his thing, and so I think. It, but but in in uh, and and Stargate, I think we could have probably done it. Yeah, you definitely. Or yeah, in military characters, I think they would have certainly been. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And travelers, absolutely, because uh, you know, 
they're just people from the future. But but there is a there's a there's a point. There's a point where you can where it does break, where you go too far, depending yeah. on who the character is. Yeah. Because because some people also, and this is the funny part. Like people, my mother goes, "Ooh, you don't have to use that word that much." And I go, "Mom, come on, give me a fucking break." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, do you like do you like um, do you love show running? Are you at the point now where you can't do another another thing? Although you weren't really show running for all mankind, you were. You oh were, no, I, I was definitely not show running. Yeah, you were just. Um, you know what? I don't mean that just, was, but that was a that was kind of a unique experience because Ron and I are old friends, and yes. he, he at that point it looked like the expanse wasn't going to be renewed, and we've been wanting we've done pilots together, and we've been wanting to work together again for years. And so he said, "Hey, look, I got this idea, and, and we're making a show out of it. And it's like you want to be involved in it." And I just like, I was like, "That sounds really fun," and and. I, <laughs> And I told my wife about it. She goes, you don't have to do that. Like, you're not running that show. I go, I just think it would be fun. And so I, I, I was in post on the last on season three of The Expanse. And we started this other show. And I think this had a great time. It's like, you know, he, Ron wrote it with uh, Matt Wolpert and uh, Ben Navidi. And, um, and uh, they were great. And it was a fun writer's room. And, we had, and as I was like five, six, five months into that show, suddenly The Expanse got you resurrected from the dead yeah. and I, I literally came into the work i worked the next day i said well jeff bezos bought the show and we're doing more <laughs> and so i finished out that first season and and simultaneously started the the next season of the expanse as we were doing post and so that's why i couldn't stay but it was with the right group of people it's fine i think it's a little harder these days i really do love running shows um, yeah. And it's they, you know, do you remember? I mean, this is going to be way, way back. It, do you remember um, at, on Outer? They would do like at the end of the year, they would like pictures of people with like thought bubbles. Yeah. Do you remember that? You mean I, they, 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 they would like, Gagan would do them. Yeah. Did, wasn't that? Yeah. yeah. They, I, I think, but the one that I remember that maybe sums it up was it was from the year that Carlton was there. Because he would always fall asleep in the production meetings um, <laughs> <laughs> after lunch, and 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 there was a shot of him asleep that Gagan took, and 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 Carlton's thought bubble was, "I wish I were back in L.A." And my <laughs> thought bubble, because I was sitting there, is, "When I'm in charge." Dot dot dot. <laughs> I think I remember that. I think I remember that. I did one episode that year. I did the vaccine episode that year. That's right. And. Uh, and uh, Alonzo, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, eh, it fell a little short, that one, but <laughs> it did. It was not great. Yeah. But we were really in charge of casting. I mean, I, I wish we were, yeah. but we weren't really. I, we, it would be, and here's your cast. What the hell? What is, what are you talking about? Except for, you know, our Canadian cast. I mean, on my very first Outer Limits episode, I wasn't, I wasn't even on staff. In fact, I go to my meeting and I'm like, I'm, the, I'm this Canadian kid who's, dying to work in science fiction and you know we in Canada we read about horses and uh <laughs> and uh, seriously I'd done Neon Rider, Black Stallion and I'm trying That's to right. get on to The Outer Limits with this with this pedigree and I walk in and I go I have a I have a uh, a meeting with a showrunner uh, oh oh no you don't what do you mean oh he, he got fired today <laughs> <laughs> you know which, this story which one was that was that 
I don't want to say who it was. Yeah, it was Gus. <laughs> he quit. Maybe he quit. Anyway, but so, but Richard will meet with you, and 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 I was like, oh, okay. Well, at least it's a meeting. And 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 this is how the pitch went. So anyway, and hello, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. And then I think hello. And it took. It took. And this is a podcast, and I'm picking up props to demonstrate the telephone. But my, but my, my point is, I, it probably took me an hour and a half to get through the pitch one. And he went, "Yeah, I like it." And I went, "Really?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Write an outline. It'll be great." So it, I don't know whether it's because he was paying attention or that he wasn't that I got my foot in the door. Exactly. And and then they they rewrote it. Whoever it was, I think my, Manny rewrote it. Somebody rewrote it, like a lot. And I thought, why are you bringing me on staff? Because you just rewrote me a lot. And then they cast, and this is the this is the genius part. They 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 cast Charles Martin Smith and a British guy as twin brothers. Brothers. Oh my god. And I went, um, one of them is very Brit. Yeah, he went to school there. He picked up the accent. I was all the time. Um, okay. 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 Happens all. We'll go time. with that. Go with that. Yeah. God, the stories. Oh, boy. And, and we had, I mean, you, you're talking about uh, writer's room. Yeah. We were so catch as catch can on that show. We were like, hey, I have an idea. Can we spin for like 15 minutes? Oh, I don't know. I got to be on set because we were all running with our own episodes, right? Yep. So writer's room was like, you know, whatever you could grab. We had those those couple of months down in, in MGM in Santa Monica. Yes, in the summer. That's so true. that was that was the that was the the chunk of time where you could focus and plan a little bit. That's true. We did have that. And that was the basically that's the only time I've ever worked in the United States during the break story breaking time. No kidding. Well I I wanted to I wanted to work on Star Trek. I would have. Undiscovered? I I, I no, no, they don't even ask me to do that. Like, they, what? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about back in the day. I would have loved oh, to work on Argonne. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, way back, way back in those days. I'd love to hear your take on the new stuff because uh, I'm watching it, uh-huh. but it's frustrating the hell out of me. I, you know, it, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to speak. I don't want to diss it either. Oh, no. It, it's, I, it's just a very different show. It's a, it's a it very is show for a very different time um i i don't I, I i get the impression that there there's a mix it's like some people clearly are attached to the old show and love elements of it um but i also feel like there are people who are just doing a variation of the new version of the show and and i sort of I, at times i feel like I, I don't know how internalized their message uh, uh, how internalized they took the message of the original series. You know, you know, it's like, um, you know, J.J. Abrams, I think he was on some talk show once. He, he was talking about like, yeah, he did the Star Trek movies, but doesn't like Star Trek. He likes Star Wars. And, and, and so I think that sort of, that, that ethos kind of went into the, the new versions of the show. It's like, they were always trying to make it into something it wasn't. And I feel like they sort of often missed the point of the original series. And so it, it's, I, I look at it and I go, well, what is it saying? I mean, I, I know what the original was saying. The original was saying, like, yeah. get out in space and be better than we are and try to not make the mistakes we used to and 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 try to deal with situations, war, you know, 
culture clashes in in a way that's more enlightened we're trying to be our better angels right it's like i don't know it's an optimistic version of technology in the future and going out into the universe there was also a rationale behind that there was also a rationale behind why they all behave the way they behaved and that was if we're going to achieve this shit we have to get along yeah we yeah. have to be able to get along without infighting fighting and 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 in, in wars amongst ourselves and, and uplifting the weaker and embracing the, the whole community and not, and not just the strongest. They kind of ignored that aspect of, of modern humanity in the new show. And I think that the problem is you can't get to that level. I, I, I suspect, I don't know, we're not there yet, but I, I suspect humanity needs to get to a certain level of the Star Trek ethos mm -hmm. before we can do those things. I, to, I, I believe that's probably true. I, I think that's, you know, you know, in, in some senses, I think that's part of the underlying feeling of for all mankind. You know, I yeah. think that, that that's a that's really baked into the show. And the expanse, the expanses version of that was, you know, treating humanity as very realistic. Is, is like or as realistic as possible. It's like even though we get but in out the expanse, of, I'm not 100 percent sure they're going to get out of it. That's, you but, know, but that well, like like actual yeah. world. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah. like when you drop an asteroid and, and uh, onto earth, that's, that's them's fighting words. By the way, that was the, that was the, uh, that was the method of the, the aliens, the bad guys in my pilot in the expanse. Oh. That's how they, they attacked earth. They threw rocks at us from the asteroid belt. Cause I always thought, why did they do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, why yeah. are we flying phasers when a, a, a rock accelerated to near light speed is very dangerous. <laughs> one of the really one of the fun things about about um, the, the Expanse books and and the, the the novelists who are Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham who are collectively James S A Corey the novelist um, they've been in our writers room since day one and so they've adapted their own novels and with with the room and and they they become incredible collaborators and really open to changing it to a different medium and they are incredibly meticulous plotters. It's like in, in the first season, I think the first couple of episodes, the Sheree uh, Agdashlu's character, the, the head of Earth, the, the government, she says, I'm afraid of people who throw rocks. And then four seasons later, that is exactly what happens yeah. <laughs> and on, a, on a global scale. And all that kind of stuff is intentional. Um, the books are, are really smartly put together and, and things seeded up, you know, seeded into the narrative years before. But you're so. But in a way, you know, your your path is 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 there. You yes. know, and and I've never had that before. Well, that's not true. I've adapted some short stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I did a couple of other limits that were story short story adaptations. Yeah, Becca Paulson, the Stephen King story. Very, <laughs> very science fictiony. <clears throat> But fun. <laughs> it was fun. I love doing that. I love working with those I always love the script. You called him the handsome man, Stephen Weber, the handsome yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. He loved that. <laughs> I had dinner with Stephen like last summer or summer before last. He's lovely. I've met him at, at some things over the years. Yeah, it just struck me that that's the thing, that that, that would be a good way to, to wipe out a, 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 without worrying about, it, you know, you see Independence Day and, you know, why hover over a city and then fire a beam? Really, you came in at pretty high velocity. Just let go of a rock on the way. <laughs> None whatsoever.
Oh, yeah. well, I guess visually. <laughs> I guess visually that would be cool. Uh, okay, I was in I was in line for that movie day one, so yeah, it worked for me. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm the same way. Listen, I, I, I go, I go. This is stupid. I'm gonna watch it again. Exactly. I'm the same way with superhero movies. You know, I I, I loved Endgame. Uh, it was so fun. <laughs> Because again, there's like some internal logic. I don't know why Iron Man doesn't, you know, turn into mush every time he lands at high velocity, but I guess the suit has inertial dampening. Because he's Robert Downey Jr., man. <laughs> fucking cool, isn't he? So here, here's, a, here's a thought. Well, yeah. uh, MGM was just purchased by Amazon. Yep. Stargate is uh, an it's MGM product. Like, uh huh. I don't know if I told you this, but about a year and a half ago, they asked me to uh, to write a new Stargate pilot. So was that what you were meeting at Amazon? No. Okay. no. Well, it may have been. It might have been that. I mean, I was I was I had another project that I was also down there pitching. And yeah. when I go down there, I sometimes pitch to a big But I, it might have been. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it, but it was like I had just finished. Uh, I, I had just finished writing uh, a pilot when. Uh, when the pandemic hit and then it was doing rewrites through it. And then of course, as you know, when one gigantic corporation buys another slightly smaller, but still gigantic corporation, it takes a lot of time. But, uh, but when, you, when you're next time you're having tea with Jeff talking expanse, <laughs> just let him know that after the final season, there, there is another IP out there that is kind of fun and spacey and fun and epic and, <laughs> <laughs> and that the writer's getting old and would love to uh oh yeah do... <laughs> uh, listen i i think amazon actually they've been great partners they've been really really great partners on the show and they seem very committed to genre right now um i mean i mean yes they are spending 456 million dollars on lord of the rings for one season so <laughs> yeah but look, yeah, look at all the r d in that <laughs> I, I, I was I'm working on a on a on a, another pilot with a writer who's on Lord of the Rings and she can't tell me anything about it. But but she I said, so where are you guys at? She goes, it's kind of amazing seeing the things we talked about kind of becoming realized. So I'm super curious to see how that goes. They have infinite financial resources. So I, do. I mean there's a point there's a point where where it's like uh, well, let's that's how much it costs, I guess. I mean, that's yeah. And they wanted, and they were, and Jeff Bezos was very unhappy about not getting Game of Thrones because he really wanted that. Um, and uh, I mean, I think honestly, if we had, if we were not owned by Alcon Television, if we had been owned by Amazon, I think they probably would have taken us another few seasons because we have three more books to go. Well, that's true. That's true. But I, I. I kind of knew with Travelers uh, going in that because it's just the nature of, of Netflix and the nature of the show on Netflix. Like we were not a front of the store product. We were like a little further back in the grocery store. I mean, it's a perfectly good product and it's on a shelf nobody can reach, but you know, <laughs> they're proud to stock it. Right. And, um, and, and so the, they, we basically knew starting season three that, that it was going to be the end of it. Uh, that, so they, they basically encouraged me to, Leave the door open a crack, if sure, but but give it a satisfying ending. Mm -hmm. And I, because I mean, my last Stargate series died on a cliffhanger, and that was kind of yeah. heartbreaking. That's, that's no fun, but that's their model these days three seasons pretty much across the boards. 
That's because they don't make money after four. They don't many. They don't make yeah. any more money. Except there's a there's an interesting tension in that because so many of the things that people go to these services for are much longer. Like when you're binging things, it's like you've got five seasons or something or six seasons or something. It's like that's a big deal, but they're not making those shows anymore. That's uh, that's gonna that's gonna cause some imbalance. It, it's that, totally gonna cause some imbalance, and uh, and it's also. A pretty wacky thing to happen when you spend months of your life coming up with a season of television and spend somewhere between 35 and 40 million dollars on on 10 or 12 episodes of television that are consumed overnight like by them like we would it would be released and by the morning somebody would say oh i just binged the whole season i loved it now that that is like dude it took a lot of time why did you just swallow it whole like that when we first went to Amazon after after Sci-Fi, I, I made a very strong case to uh, Amazon to to give us a different release pattern, which was I said, why don't you do you know three, two, one, 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 or something like that, where you give a few and then and then go once a week. They didn't do it in season four, but in season five they did, and they did it. They did it with the boys. They did it with us, which was. The first three episodes initially or two, I guess, depending on the shows. And then after that, once a week. And so it allowed us to stay in the conversation much longer. Um, Apple does that now, too. Was that, do- I know, but that, was that was that your idea? Because Apple does that. They, that that's funny because um, uh, I was that, or was that driven by production or was that? No, no, it's a, it's by choice. It's by choice. Yeah, there's no you, everything gets delivered. Everything gets delivered because they do. Because they launch in, you know, like almost 200 countries simultaneously. The localization right, right. takes about four or five months. So of course it does. Yeah, same with travelers. You have to, you had to. Ahead. Yeah, so it's, it becomes a choice. And I think, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a significant thing because you find people just talking about it more. And I, I, don't, I don't like the instantaneous consumption of it because it actually, it doesn't stick with you the same way. You don't well, think and you don't get the water cooler conversation. That's exactly it. Which doesn't happen during a pandemic anyway, but but the but you don't you do get a, a more of an event, certainly with the last three. It's like, oh, they're putting the last one up now. Now it's an event we can all respond to, as opposed to, I don't know, I missed the middle ones because I was kind of asleep, but I just kept binging. Well, you know what's interesting now, and now we're kind of again, the there's this there's this great circularity, I think, sometimes with technology. What's happening now is now you're seeing the introduction of these watch party like features at the operating yeah. system level. So like now it's like, hey, let's all get together and we'll all watch the stream at the same time, which we can sync up and do, and then we can all talk about it together. That's interesting. I mean that's it is. It's although uh, although the talking about it together part. Uh, everybody under 20, everybody under 25, possibly anybody, everybody under 30 <laughs> does not consume television and, uh, without having another screen in hand. Um, uh, and, and it, it's a little frustrating. It's I like, wonder, oh, I missed that. I, I wonder, but is it, do, do they watch things twice? Like, do they watch things privately themselves? And then do they watch them and talk with their friends? Because I have a hard time believing that you can actually appreciate it to the nuance, the level of nuance that some people clearly show when they write about it or talk about it. If you're constantly turning your face away, I I I, I totally agree with that. And in fact, shows like like uh, Expanse, Stargate, Travelers get watched multiple multiple times, 
and 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 say, well, I'm on my fourth rewatch, which is flattering as hell. And I, and I've seen it more than that because I was in the editing room. But uh, there, there's a point of like, I don't need to see it again. <laughs> but these some of these things are dense. I mean, the expanse is really is complex, and I mean, it's like you can't really. If you're turning your attention away from oh, it, absolutely. Then... You just yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a I had another uh, I, had a, I had this idea. Uh, I, I'm we're this uh, this podcast is is for the companion, which is this uh, really interesting uh, bunch of guys made this um, this thing, and and I've written essays for them, and and that's what this podcast is for. But I had this idea, and I just wanted to know what you thought of it as a concept. We were talking about doing like a reunion of Stargate cast, and we were talking about possibly doing a read through of some material, which is impossible at this stage between MGM and Amazon. The 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 show's up in the air right now. But I thought, what if we got like a serious AI, like a big time AI, to write scenes? And not I'm not talking about one of those apps you can get access to. (laughs) I'm talking about we're we're talking about like a world class what are they called a cluster of ais mm-hmm. making an earnest attempt to write scenes uh and then and i i ran it by some of the cast and they're like oh i'm in i'll read that in a heartbeat wow i mean what are the odds of it being good is the question i mean i think everyone i have looked at it starts good and it just just devolves into gibberish all i can say is i hope it's bad <laughs> <laughs> because i'm not sure this is a, a concept i want proven <laughs> i agree with you i it's virtually inevitable it's virtually because ai is at no at no i mean it, the only way it would be good is is if in the same concept of like an infinite number of uh, monkeys will eventually write hamlet uh, it's just not it's just not there yet, but, but could it be entertaining? Could it be interesting? I, I think so. Especially since there's such a large volume of material. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, and it knows what the characters said. There's, listen, there's no question that it's inevitable because when you can have, you know, when you can train neural networks on paintings and have them create art, it's like, that looks kind of like interesting. It's going to happen. I, I do wonder though, it, it is that like the why of what you, of, of doing it is very important. It's like, you know, making art to share human experience. That's not what these things are doing. I know. What they're doing is, is you know, maybe maybe that question becomes moot at a certain level of, of facility, but um, I'm not sure. I don't know because it, it, it can't even now, it can't start with a blank page. I mean, that's, it's. That's, that's my point is that, that and that's, yes. that's really important so it and it also is like what drives the desire to share something is 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 you're trying to express experience you're trying to express a feeling and it's like that when you take that out of the equation then i'm not sure if it's the same thing um but maybe at a certain point it's going to become irrelevant that's it's an interesting i I don't i don't i mean i think we're probably decades away from that uh uh, maybe maybe not I hope to enjoy the virtual reality they create. Uh, <laughs> Me too. In my in my retirement, I'll happily play that game. Exactly. As I'm being sucked into their energy in a in a pod. That's good. Fantastic. <laughs> so so uh, one of the things that who who should, who should, else should I be talking about uh, on a podcast from our shared shared world? Wow. Um, I don't know. Um, 
we don't have that much of a shared world really because you live in LA and work in LA. Um, and some, but of, I mean, I would some of the guys who outer. I mean, I think Sam's kind of retired. I think Carlton is kind of retired. I think um, you know, I hear from Gagan every once in a while. Uh, still these days. Um, uh, yeah, he would be good. Uh, I'm, I may be retired too. Uh, this re this business retires you, right? You just <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, guess I don't. I'm not intentionally retired. That's for sure. No, I, I think, I mean, honestly, right now, I think that the, especially if you've gotten to the stage where you've run shows before, it's like, it's a skill set is in such high demand right now. It, it's crazy. It is, but I, 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 and I get, I get offers too, but I, 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 I seem to want to just do my own stuff. And, and when I, Sometimes I go in, this happens all the time. I go, I go in and they go, yeah, this is really great. But we have this young guy and we just love it if you would teach them everything you know. And I go, I don't want to do that right now. And maybe I will, <laughs> but you know, I want to do my own shit right now. Still, I still think I have that in me. Yeah, so, I, I'll I, I have partnered up with a bunch with people. Um, I, I, I still enjoy like just, I've never been one of those guys that brings the same people to every show. I like, I've, I've often, I just kind of start again. We did that on the expanse. I haven't worked with anybody. I, I find it stimulating, um, you know, and you learn more that way because, yeah. because I mean, I mean, on start, on start gate, we kept, we were, we just kept getting renewed. So it was like, I, well, I can't Yeah, yeah. Make, they deserve to stay another year or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, but with uh, with travelers, the, the 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 joy of having a fresh, new, unjaded group of young people—it's fun. <laughs> fun. I mean, I, and again, yeah, I completely agree. You learn way more, and and just just get exposed to different people and thoughts in the room. You don't tell the same old. You know, you're not sitting around the table with the same old people telling the same old stories, and it's just you know, I think that. And your old stories can be completely your old jokes, man. I mean, exactly. I, could, I, I started telling jokes that I hadn't used again since uh, 1970. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we have we have some fan questions that oh, the, yeah. the companion uh, and and uh, I want to like we record them and it's really fun. So let's queue a few of those up. I'm Kaki, one half of the So Farscape podcast, where we recently reviewed an episode of yours called Beware of Dog, which has this tragic theme of communication between very different forms of life uh, that I recognize from other stories you wrote for TNG, like with the, the exocomps and the homeward, all of which end with sacrifice. So do you think we always need a martyr to respect something alien, or do you think we can do better? Oh, that's a good question from Farscape. Wow. Um, you know... I, I think I think the fact that they end in tragedy is is more a, a function of drama than anything else because I certainly I certainly don't hope that that is the case that we always need to have a martyr at the end of one of these um, you know uh, the ideas are about making contact with something that you don't understand or you're afraid of or you or is very different from you and um, I would certainly hope that it doesn't end in tragedy every time and that's not the intention I think it's more a function of um, of, of how these stories are being, you know, expressed in, in science fiction. It's one of those things that tragedy moves people. Um, and so I think that's probably why they ended up that way. Tragedy does move people. It's also, be, sometimes you do stuff because you can. Yeah. Because, because uh, like the exocomp story is a, is a great example. It, it sacrifice made it identifiable as an act of, of uh, like it's almost a human quality in its sacrifice. So it, it humanized it in that sense. Yeah. Going way back to a, a show you wrote 
Yeah, very long time ago. That's a long time ago. Hi, Naren. My name is Geeta, originally from Botswana, though I've lived in the US and UK as well. Your work often involves identity and what it means to come from somewhere or to represent some place. What drives you to write about themes like this? Thanks for creating some amazing shows. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't actually ever thought about it. Like, like I haven't sat down and go, I'm going to do uh, something about this particular topic or talk about identity that way. It, I suspect it just kind of comes into things that naturally interest me. I mean, I my parents emigrated from India uh, to, and I was grew up in the United States and Canada. And um, you know, so you do come from that immigrant experience. I have friends who I have a friend, a good friend, another writer is from Puerto Rico. And it's like we have so much in common as coming from another culture to to North America. And those themes sort of end up in his work as well. And so I think it's just one of those natural things. I think, you know, the last number of years I've been on The Expanse, tribalism um, and how that and the clashes that that creates um, is really a, a deep theme in the, in the story. And um, it, it does speak to the moment, I think, in the world um, that we are in. And it is a, uh, you know, it's something that really appealed to me when we started out because this idea that, you know, people seem to form into groups that transcend race, that transcend class, but they always find ways to form into groups. And as soon as you get one group saying that, you know, that other group is not like us, that's when the fight starts. And so it's, it seems to be a really fundamental part of human nature that has created many good things and has created many, many terrible things. And so it's something that I just find interesting. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and in a way, I mean, you have an episode of, uh, of Expanse you called Tribes. That, that's, that's the, the Expanse is very much about those groups. And, and even, if, even though we started in one place. Yep. Cool. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, they, they, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I like, I like to just make sure we don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. That's where that's what I was talking about with, 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 uh, with Star Trek because with the with the new shows, as much as I appreciate them, uh, on some level, I, I wonder how we got there, if this yeah. is who they are now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hit us, Tommy. Hi, Noreen. Fraser from Scotland here. Quick question. What is the big difference in writing for a show like Star Trek in the 90s uh, versus writing a show like The Expanse today? Um, you know, they are really worlds apart. Uh, Star Trek was, I mean, Next Generation, it really was the child of the original series. It, it Thematically, it was very much in the same place. I would say it was maybe a little less uh, America will solve your problems post Kennedy America in the 60s and that really infused the original series. It was a, a much more, I would say, a much a different time in the country. And so the show expressed that as well as maybe we shouldn't fuck things up quite as much as we did by going and telling people how to live. So that was baked into the show. But, you know, it was a very different kind of a series in The Expanse. The Expanse is tightly serialized. It's tightly, it's very tightly arced. It really is about tribalism, the cycles of history, 
Um, you know, it, it's as much about, you know, how resource constraints and economics affects history and drives migration and colonialism. And, and uh, it, it really deals with a fundamentally different set of problems, even though they're both set on spaceships and in, in you know, moving through planets, et cetera. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to have started there and now be at this. Uh, it's just, it's also fascinating to think how science fiction has grown up in, in terms of a genre. Um, in entertainment over that time as well, because this is a show that never would have been made or could have been made, frankly, that, that long ago. I'm going to say could have been made. And that is the, that's another huge difference. You, I mean, what you pull off visually in, that, in The Expanse is just forget it. And during, I mean, even the future films couldn't do what you were doing now in terms of just throwing in a, a giant tracking internal moon base shot as you go, you know, I mean... The, it's 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 enormous yeah. and and uh, and and photorealistic. We're you know not not a two D matte painting, and then you cut to a foggy planet. It is that actually is part of the the thing that I love these days is being able to 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 work effects cinematically. It's like because it is it's really it's a huge difference. It isn't just cut to a shot of a spaceship, right? Which mm -hmm. is just which is just a, you know, the, it's the shot of the house, you know, <laughs> like outside and then you're inside the house. It's like, it, it's not that. It's like, there's a, there's a seamlessness that you can create between the visual effects and things that you shoot that actually allows it's, it's, a very unified thing. It, it, but the other thing, that, and, and this comes from you, it has to, because, because it's, it's a new language too. And that is you, you, uh, you're not limited to one plane. You know, and, and like oh, you, you, you yeah. are very three-dimensional. We, we actually, that was actually the mandate in season one. I, 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 when we were going into the previs, I said, I don't want the frame to be the floor. Yeah. I said, there is, that we are, we are never, we are never on straight lines or perpendiculars in these shots because space is three-dimensional. So you feel, you feel that in every composition. It's like, you know, motion is through space. It's always got a three-dimensional component to it, no matter where we go. And, and, it, and it's one of the ways you achieve the, uh, the microgravity or low gravity feel, even when they're walking on, a, on one plane, because the camera is just drifting or there's somebody walking on the ceiling yeah. of the corridor towards you as they're away from you as they're walking towards you. It's all very intentional for, for things, on, things on Earth, for example, in our, early on, the, the mandate was, you shoot classic style, Bali, everything felt like the ground. If we were in space, it would be, it would be floaty camera, loose heads. We actually yeah. developed them. Um, we, we were, we were like the first show to use like a, a stabilized Movi rig, um, which we built, we built all the wheels for it. It was a custom rig to actually get around and do the zero G stuff nice. inside the space in the ships, because the sets were purposely built very small because I wanted to see, um, and the, we had many conversations with the DP, a guy named Jeremy Benning, who's phenomenal, and Terry McDonough did the pilot, uh, directed it. Um, the intention was, when you're in a spaceship, to always feel ceilings and floors and walls. It's like, so the set's closed up. And so that mandated, we, we needed a small rig that was very, very uh, adaptable and flexible. It could move around in these tight spaces. And so that was stuff we all developed early on. Fabulous. One more question, Tommy. Hi, Naren. Hi, Brad. It's James here. 
uh, to the companion. Now, my question focuses on the nichest possible intersection in both of your spectacular careers. Um, Brad, you've written many a moving scene with Thor. Naren, your time on Farscape gave us the way we weren't and beware of dog. So my question is, how do you make us cry for puppets? How do you make us believe those rubbery little faces can feel? Um, well, you know, I will give full credit to um, to the brilliant magicians and Muppeteers at, at uh, the Jim Henson Company who did the puppets on Farscape, Pilot and, and Rigel. Um, but also full credit to David Kemper, who was the showrunner, who was a beautiful writer, Rockne O'Bannon, who, who put a lot into that, uh, the way we were in script as well. They're real artists. We spent a lot of time with the, with the, um, the, the creature uh, puppeteers on, uh, on, uh, on Farscape. Um, they were all down in Sydney, David Elsie and his gang. And uh, they were, you know, they become characters in the show. They, they are real expressive artists themselves. They respond that way. And, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, Javier Grigio Markswatch, he did uh, The Dark Crystal. Um, and he worked with the creature shop guys. And he said the puppets were just phenomenal. They would, um, you know, it's just, you're just talking about the, the, the effect that great work of great artists has on an audience. <laughs> it's a testament to the artist. Our, our Thor uh, was, uh, was great for, for quite some time. But, and as we, that's, that, there was one point we were trying to transition between a CG Thor and a, and a puppet Thor. We did that and too on Escape. We did Of course, of course. And, and our, our puppet Thor, because it's all like servos moving his lips and, and, and eyes. And, and that's how you get like, you know, some of the emotion. And the other thing is Michael Shanks voiced Thor uh, and it was really, really good at it. Capable yeah. of infusing emotion into the character just with the voice. But there was times when we had to we had to cut very very rarely with Thor because like his left side like Thor had a stroke and the left side of his mouth <laughs> wouldn't work anymore and we were like oh shit okay well just uh, it's it's you know the, the the things that you that you have to worry about in uh, in science fiction puppetry it, it, they can get quite comical yeah. but uh, I, I think we're probably now well past. Uh, physical puppets uh, except for some shots in shows like that i mean for for universe even 10 years ago we were, we had full full on cg aliens and and they were cool uh, so uh yeah we it feels like those days are gone i mean you you can't you can't get the camera flexibility out of out of puppeteering for the most no. part no and they can't walk no they can't walk let's 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 be honest they they, they always arrive in a chair or at least mine did the limitations are quite severe. <laughs> quite, quite. But they were fun. They were. And so was this conversation, Arane. I, 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 I wouldn't have done it um, if it was being recorded or not because it was so good to see you. And I'm so happy I ran into you by accident in LA uh, with you and your and your uh, and your writing team. I was by myself. That's the difference between a guy with a job and a guy trying to get a job. <laughs> you, were, you were with somebody else. You were with somebody else. I was with a studio executive who was helping okay, me. That's, <laughs> that's true. You need that advocacy. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I'm so glad and I and I'm so glad we're gonna run into each other again and, and uh, be able to tell war stories uh, as we uh, grow older and uh, and as people make television and beyond us because you know at this point at some point we're gonna slow down a little. I might. I'm already slowing down a little. 
and you know you 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 may you never know i'm terrified of it i i i i, I find the job i'm I'm so fortunate to even have the job, but it is stimulating and fascinating. And it, it is crazy that you can make a living out of telling people stories and spending their money to put these amazing things on screen. It's like- Well, people is- say to me, people say to me, uh, wow, 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 that sounds like a fun job. And I said, I make shit up for a living. I mean, yeah. I don't know how it can get much better than that. Exactly true. And a right. writer's room is one of the most fun places I've ever been in. We always share that, Brad, because I, yes. I, I feel exactly the same way about that. Those, those times when you're just with the staff and you're breaking stories and laying out a season, it's really one of the most fun parts of the job. One, one, one quick Narain story. Um, I remember, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, it must have been season four because I, was, I went over to, to check in and, and see you guys. And it was early. And I said, wow, when did you get here? And you said... Oh, uh, I haven't gone. I haven't gone to bed yet. I did the rewrite overnight, <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, are you okay?" No, no, no. I'm I'm a basket case, but I finished I the script. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and sleep now. And I said, "Yes, do you, are you, do you need to drive?" No, I think I'll be okay. Well, maybe I should get a drive. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, and and you you basically did, and and that's another thing you and I shared because I did it too. Sometimes necessity means you need the script tomorrow and it ain't done. And, it, and, and you did a gigantic page one rewrite on a script and you turned it in at something like 8 a.m. And we're just waiting for it to come out of the printer when I saw you. you you're, you way, you're way fast. I vaguely remember it. You're, you're way faster than me. I, 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 that is not how I like to work. <laughs> I can't. I, can't do I don't that. like to work that way either, but you did. I remember uh, that you did. Do you know what I remember about Outer? Do you, do you remember that terrible little office that that I, I had like the smallest office in, in the thing? It was, it was like, because you know, we had that that weird, that weird sort of that long thin hallway that was yeah. up against the big effect stage. And so in my office, I had the fire alarm. And oh, they, that's right. You remember they were shooting that movie Deep Rising with Pete yes. Williams? And they kept burning down the stage with all the pyro and that fucking fire alarm <laughs> just go off. <laughs> and it, was, it was the size of a, like a phone booth on the side. And <laughs> that thing would just go oh off. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. That happened. That happened for sure. Oh my God. They were fire trucks. They said, well, they burned down the stage over the weekend. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> My, my, I remember, I remember, and I don't even know if we want to keep this in the podcast, but just, I remember saying to you, one of the last pieces of advice, I, and I, I don't even know the context of what I said, you, you, you in a crowded room of writers, if a, if, if a script that needs the most work, it's like jumping on a grenade. Don't always be the one that jumps on the grenade. I I remember that advice and you told me because I had a very bad tendency early on in my, my career to take on a project because other people couldn't do it. Yes, that's, that's just, it. Just to show people that I could do it. And, and I would bust my ass and, and I think it was that one, it was that, I think it was like that Chris Brancato script. Yes, um, yes. That's the one that you're talking about with the multiple personalities. And so I can fucking do that shit. And then I did, and you, you were saying, 
don't take the worst idea in the room and make it <laughs> just to show that you can turn it into something good. Take a good idea and make it great. I was like, that's pretty good advice. <laughs> it was, I, it was, and I, I, I mean, I was co, I was co-story on that because I remember pitching the original idea, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, and then it turned into something else. And and anyway, this no, is no, neither here nor there. I, 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 I should... only remember that. I, I told people that about you actually over the years. I've given tried to give that same advice to other people. It, it's good advice, actually. It is good, <laughs> it really is good advice. It's that's you know, I don't even that's the only you're the only person I ever thought of thought of saying that to because I see it in myself. I used to do that too. Sad. Anyway, that's, uh, I'm gonna let you go. It, <laughs> I, I really, really enjoyed uh, catching up with you. And uh, sure. let's not wait another however many years it was before we do it again. No, we will not. Um, and I'm sure we'll be up in Vancouver. We can do it in person. That would be lovely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's do that. All right, man. I got to say, I love speaking with other writers, especially ones that I admire as much as Narain. If you enjoyed this interview, you can find my essays and hundreds more stories like these on The Companion at www.thecompanion.app. Bye for now. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate masterclass. It's a Stargate Chief Master Sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked. <laughs>